Section 12 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Explodreamer. Criminal Investigation, a practical handbook for magistrates, police officers, and lawyers. Volume 1 by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Examination of Witnesses and Accused Continued. Chapter 2 Continued. 1. Fundamental Considerations. A. Perception. If we wish to ascertain the facts in accordance with the depositions of the witnesses, we shall constantly insist that each witness shall tell us absolutely only what he has seen or what he has heard and leave to us the work of drawing conclusions. But the great error is frequently committed of accepting the story of what has been seen or heard as if the witness himself excluded all reasoning, all induction. That is to say, to consider as accurate what he has told us from the moment that we are convinced that the witness wishes to speak the truth. Now, if we believe that the account given of the sense perceptions of the witness excludes all reasoning, there is no motive for seeking this ratio concludendi, certainly more important than the ratio sendi, a matter with which every jurist must occupy himself. But in the record of almost all the perceptions of sense, there is found not only a reasoning, but a series of reasonings. A simple example will show this. When, for instance, I say, there is a glass, I would appear to report a very simple sense perception. But let us look at it a little closer. To express myself exactly, I should have to say something like this. As I have never known myself to be the victim of hallucinations, as I have not been, so far as I know, in bad health, as further, I have no reason to suppose that anyone has been trying to deceive me by an optical illusion, by means of mirrors or some physical trick, as besides, I have no ground for surmising that there is upon the table a picture so artistic as to make a painted glass appear a real glass, as finally, I cannot imagine that the people of this house have their table glass of rock crystal, I feel entitled to state that what I saw on the table was an ordinary glass. Of course, it is not suggested that one should go so far and give such a complete series of reasoning every time that a deposition is taken down. Everyone knows what is intended by the words, I have seen a glass. But everyone ought to know also that such an affirmation contains reasoning, and reasoning the correctness of which must be frequently examined. If consequently an investigating officer of very minute accuracy has taken down, I saw a man walking some distance off. The man had a long smock and looked like a woman. The insinuation thus inserted that the man might have been disguised is surely ridiculous. But if on the other hand the witness had said, I saw a woman, one could still very well admit that the person in question was a man, the witness having judged the sex of the person only from external appearance. What is necessary is not to stick down on the record the whole chain of reasoning, but to bear constantly in mind that the depositions suppose such reasonings and that, in such reasoning, mistakes and even important mistakes may be committed. Let us put on one side for the present morbid phenomena and consider only what happens daily when our senses and spirits are in a perfectly normal state. 
we have only to think of the way in which our senses perceive a thing and the manner in which we come to present it to ourselves to be convinced that we are very seldom in examining an object take note of all the details which characterize it and which really cause us to have such and such an idea of it the best example is offered by figures which we call figures of harmony and which having typical forms that is to say forms corresponding to known types renders superfluous the accurate analysis of the different parts when we read we do not spell out every letter we seize at the first glance the whole word we only take to spelling if we come across a word in a foreign language or with a novel grouping of syllables hence it comes that we constantly fail to notice small printer's errors especially if the words are rather long and if the mistake does not modify essentially the appearance of the word in the same way a clever pianist seizes only the general look of the notes especially chords without examining each in particular but it is especially at cards or dominoes that this can be best observed the player does not count the pips on the cards one by one but seeing before him the group he says it is a seven or a nine but if these images did not conform to a known type if the pips were arranged in different ways or in a perfectly arbitrary manner the player would be obliged to count every time at least for the higher cards something analogous occurs in all perceptions and more frequently than we ordinarily suppose what enables us to seize more easily the aspect of a whole is that we seek and store up in our memory certain characteristic features from which we can immediately spot the object when in a room i see a clock face and i am convinced that there is a clock there even if i have not seen it very clearly and even if the look of the clock face and the objects around it give but a vague idea of the clock later on i shall perhaps recall exactly what the clock was like if in crossing a room for the first time i see with a side glance and indistinctly in a corner something glittering in white i will say there is a stove because i have seen the characteristic signs of a stove and have not seen a stove in any of the other three corners of the room if i see flying in the fields a big bird with a very long tail i at once say there goes a pheasant and if in a menagerie i can see only indistinctly a big beast with a long trunk i am sure it is an elephant it is not always as easy as this to draw conclusions from characteristic signs the nature and the education of the person drawing the conclusion makes such estimates very difficult and of varying degrees of correctness the specialist for example knows very well the true characteristic feature of objects entering into his specialty and will not be deceived even if he has seen but one of these features the medical man knows for instance that there is a consumptive or strong smoker in his consulting room if he hears the one coughing or the other walking about but it is not the same in all cases and curiously enough it is particularly the objects of ordinary life of whose characteristic features we are completely ignorant we may here learn much from scene painters in theatres who with a few telling depths of colour conjure up before us the most beautiful images their process consists for example in laying hold of what appears distinctive in a basket of roses and although these essentials consist only of a few spots of colour they make us really see a beautiful basket of roses the light the distance 
in the imagination of course helping it would be of the greatest importance for us if the scene painter could tell us the precise rules according to which he works if for example he could tell us how he represents upon the canvas just the most brilliant lights the deepest shadows and the most striking colours but up till now scene painters have not found any such rules they work in a purely empirical manner which is proved by the fact that they cannot correct any mistakes if their basket of roses does not produce the intended impression they never try to touch it up for that would be always useless they just make another one we may conclude from this that every person does not recognize an object by the same distinguishing features if the painting representing a basket of roses were placed alone upon the scene probably one part of the public would think it very well painted while the other would wonder what in the world it was but on the evening of the representation when all the necessary decorations are on the scene the whole public will find the basket of roses very good indeed the reason of this fact is that in certain circumstances the senses can be prepared in the present case we will admit then that the painter has been able to give in a typical way for one part of the public the characteristic features of a basket of roses for the other those of an old castle for another those of a wood and for the rest those of the background but it is sufficient if one part of the scenery be exactly represented for the sense of sight is already prepared to be captured and so disposed to find the whole of the scenery correct the idea created that one object is well represented extends and applies itself to other objects by a sort of induction thus the person who thinks the painter has rendered the old castle accidentally well will at once find that the basket of roses the wood and the background are equally well represented this psychological phenomenon is very clearly shown in panoramas which have recently become so numerous the principal trick of these panoramas consists in putting in the foreground real objects stones trunks of trees wheels etc which become to all appearance parts of the picture the eye of the spectator is attracted by these real objects is convinced of their materiality and immediately transfers this impression to the portion that is only paint and canvas so successfully that the whole spectacle appears real these phenomena of the inductive faculty are of first importance for the expert in criminology frequently in our daily work we come across analogous impressions of the same class as just described perhaps less sharply accentuated a circumstance which renders such an image or idolin all the more dangerous because the illusion more readily escapes attention it must not be forgotten that a witness at the moment of being an actual spectator of the occurrence or at the time of reporting it is frequently in a state of agitation and over-excitement which leads him to glide easily from one conclusion to another once these inductions are in full swing it is difficult to say where they will stop and if this is the case with impressions arising under normal conditions the reality is enormously accentuated when certain things have strongly struck the sensations and especially that of sight let us then consider further the problem of that mobile picture which we have just been describing discarding the theory of georg Hurt, according to which this mobility or plasticity of vision is due to the fact that the retina is always exposed to rays of light of varying length let us stick to the older and undoubtedly correct theories which make the phenomenon simply a matter of experience 
as soon as we mention experience the question of true or false inferences comes to the front this kind of vision is nothing but an inference or induction we conclude that what appears to stand out in solid relief does really so stand out because we have proved a thousand times by actual touch that objects bearing exactly the same appearance are material and solid but we push our conclusions still further and by the same visual illusion set as real not only bodies of which we have seen the like a thousand times but those which we come across for the first time we have never seen a living will but if we came across one in the arctic seas we should never for a moment doubt that it was a real will this however is only an inference based upon similarity on our hypothesis it would be absurd to suppose that the will was painted on canvas but in numberless cases the conclusion will by no means be so certain and frequently the spectator on more or less good grounds draws a false inference based on appearances without the slightest suspicion of the reality of what he believes himself to have seen this can be easily seen in most optical illusions perhaps the most striking is that of the intaglio a head of sufficient size is expertly graven on a precious stone to a spectator about a yard away such a head stands out in relief like a camco the only difference is in the lighting effect the spectator being unable to appreciate the minute variations in length of the rays of light according as they strike the concave head hollowed out of the stone or the convexity of a relief yet to the expert the light is a perfect test for in the cameo the surfaces turned towards the luminous centre are lighted up while in the intaglio the same surfaces being reversed are in the shade if then a man has before him an intaglio illuminated by rays of light coming from the left he can at the same instant see it as a cameo the sole condition being that he should wish so to see it for that it suffices that consciously or unconsciously he should imagine the rays of light coming from the right for the aspect under which the head appears to stand out in relief is explained only by thinking of a cameo now we constantly act in this fashion we see or believe we see a whole series of things starting from certain data if the first idea is right we see right if our exemplar starts with the idea that the light comes from the left he will not be deceived over the intaglio but if he starts with the erroneous impression that it comes from the right immediately the cameo starts up before his eyes it is all the more necessary to take note of errors springing from this first false idea or conception because we are never really aware of its presence or at best forget it at once in any given case we must with the aid of known facts segregate the idea or notion which served as the starting point we must then by a scrupulous inquiry verify whether or not there is any ground for suspecting a mistake in their idea if there is we must then endeavour to find the cause this has an importance of its own and when we have discovered wherein certain assertions are incorrect we must not rest content with a mere statement of the facts indeed in most cases we can directly discover only the incorrectness of subsidiary statements but in working backwards to the idea which is their cause we can sometimes find by the mere process of reasoning amongst the other important statements some of which can only arise from fundamentally incorrect ideas or conceptions this is all the more important because frequently as the result of certain perceptions which we believe we possess we arrive at conclusions which are not in accordance with our own experience take again our example of vision 
If immediately after sunset we look at a low hill situated in the west, objects seen on the summit of this hill produce the effect of simple silhouettes or outlines without substance and without relief. Behind them, the sky is strongly illuminated by the setting sun, and the face of the object directed towards the spectator catches so little light that it is impossible to distinguish differences of light and shade. Thus, although we know perfectly well that these objects are solid, we cannot help thinking of them as mere outlines. And if we have no reason for correcting this false appearance, we will not do it. We shall simply say we have seen silhouettes. Note also that we have not as yet taken into account what may be called illusions of the senses. If it be admitted that almost all sense perceptions are based upon inductions, it follows that only those arising from a physical cause in the body itself of the individual ought strictly speaking to be called illusion of the senses. Thus, there will be an illusion of sense if owing to a lateral pressure on the eyeball images are seen double, or again if two points of a compass separated a little distance be placed on the top of the thigh, or on the back, or on some other part of the human body deficient in nervous tissue. Instead of feeling the two sensations of touch, the person believes that there is only one. Apart from cases of this kind, what is commonly called an illusion of the senses is in no sense an illusion, but only a false induction. If on looking through a red glass we see the landscape red, our eye is not deceived. We have only made the mistake of not taking the red glass into account. If a little before rain falls, the mountains appear nearer, it is not because the eye is deceived, but because in calculating the distance, we have forgotten that air charged with humidity refracts the light. In the same way, if a stick is held slanting in the water, refraction makes the portion submerged in the water appear to be raised up, so as to form an obtuse angle with the other portion. There is no error of the senses, for if the stick be photographed, it will be appear in the photograph also broken in an obtuse angle. There will be no mistake unless we believe that the stick is really broken. If we do so, it is only an error of reasoning owing to having forgotten that the refraction of light is not the same in water as in air. There are a great many similar cases. It is only necessary to mention the numerous phenomena of radiation of light, phenomena in which light surfaces appear larger than dark ones on account of their greater power of radiation. Thus, a black triangle between two white surfaces appear narrower than a white rectangle of the same size between two black surfaces. People clothed in black appear thinner when they are dressed in white or light materials. A line with divisions appears shorter than a continuous line. A square divided by a diagonal appears broader than high, while a square divided by a vertical appears higher than it is broad. Clothes of uniform colour appear greater than they really are, especially if they have longitudinal lines, while clothes of different colours or with transverse lines appear smaller. Lines which go in a parallel direction, such as railway tracks, avenues, etc., appear to converge, and vertical lines cut across by short oblique parallel lines always appear to diverge from the vertical in the direction opposite to that of the cutting lines. But in all these cases, our senses are not in error, only we do not take into account the optical laws which come into play and consequently accept the appearance of the reality. Yet all these illusions and a crowd of others may exercise a decisive influence on the depositions of witnesses and the grossest mistakes mislead into the inquiry if we simply accept a deposition without looking for the deduction of which it is the result. 
And here we have not only to deal with simple cases, as example, where a person clothed in white and seen by night is depicted by the witness as a very tall man, when in fact he was only a boy. False conclusions of this sort may be the starting point of a whole series of facts falsely conceived, because from one sense perception falsely interpreted may hang a whole series of mistakes, both in the idea which we have of things and in the way in which we report them. It is not always so easy to establish the cause of error, that is, how the perception has been led astray. An explanation by a technical term such as refraction, radiation, etc. is not always enough. We have often to do with very complicated physical phenomena. We know, for example, that if objects appear unexpectedly at night, especially on a dark and misty night, they are seen prodigiously enlarged. This phenomenon is a fairly complicated one. Suppose that on a foggy or misty night, I see unexpectedly a horse whose outline appears very indistinct on account of the mist. I know from experience that objects which appear to have indefinite outlines are usually at a great distance. I know further that very distant objects appear smaller than they really are. So when this horse which I fancy to be very far away seems to have ordinary dimensions, I can only suppose that its real proportions are enormous. The train of ideas is then as follows. I do not see it distinctly, therefore it is very far away. But in spite of the distance, it retains its natural size. Therefore, if I were to see it close at hand, it would be immense. It is self-evident that a person does not reason in this way, slowly and step by step. His conclusions are produced with the rapidity of lightning and without reflection and he arrives direct at the conclusion without stopping at the intermediate stages. It is therefore frequently very difficult to discover the train of ideas and how the mistake has been committed. If the man who has seen finds in past events an inexplicable gap, the affair will appear to him strange and mysterious simply because he cannot explain it. And this is how arises that tendency towards the mysterious which often plays such a great game in the depositions of witnesses. Thus, if we see, of course, in disagreeable circumstances, a horse galloping without hearing the sound of his hoofs, if we see the trees swaying without perceiving any wind, or if we meet on a fine moonlight night a man, apparently without a shadow, every such thing will appear mysterious and disquieting because there is something wanting which ought logically to be there. We know also what a state of mind a man gets into when he believes he has seen something mysterious. When a person has become thus unsettled, not a single one of his sense perceptions can inspire confidence. We must even suspect the truth of what he professes to have seen or heard before he became the victim of terror. We must also remember that very few people are willing to admit that they have been in a funk. Perhaps they don't even know it themselves. It therefore becomes all the more necessary to throw light upon the subsequent inferences made by the witness, because that is the only way of finding out the unsettled state of mind in which he has been, and which may be the cause of serious mistakes. End of section 12. Recording by Explodreamer.